Well, one of the things that will be coming up uh, this Thursday is our Celebrate Recovery. And uh, I've invited Chuck Mock uh, to come up and to uh, connect with me a little bit. I think Chuck's here. There he is. Man, he scared me. Anyone ever see Mr. Deeds, where the butler always comes up, you know, and they're like right beside you? That was that experience, man, right there. So, well, well, Chuck, how are you doing today? I am doing great, Chris. Thank you. And I'm really excited for everybody in here today. Um, why, why is that, Chuck? Why are you excited? Because I am an amazing speaker. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I see that uh, being humble is probably not one of your recovery issues, huh? That you're going to talk about today. Well, why don't you tell us a, a little bit more on a serious side. What is Celebrate Recovery? And just tell us about what that ministry kind of looks like. Well, Celebrate Recovery is a biblical and balanced ministry to help people overcome their hurts, hang-ups, and habits. It's based on the actual words of Jesus. The recovery program is unique and very effective in helping people change. It has transformed thousands of lives while helping people grow in Christ. Okay. So uh, can you tell us a little bit, just, just how did Celebrate Recovery begin? Well, it began in 1991 at Saddleback Church in Southern California, where Rick Warren, who the pastor that did the Purpose Driven Life, um, and as you can probably imagine, in California, there's a lot of people with a lot of hang-ups and hurts and habits, so Rick recognized that. And as he investigated the 12-step program of AA, He began intense intense study of the scriptures, and he learned that God had a lot to say about recovery issues. And to his amazement, he found the principles of recovery directly from Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. But we know that people don't have any issues in Indiana, right? I mean, that's just a California thing. Um, But uh, I think the reality is hurts, habits, and hang-ups, they affect all of us. And so uh, can you talk a little bit about what the eight features are of the ministry uh, and what that kind of looks like? Well, this recovery program is based on God's Word, the Bible. You see, when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, he began by stating eight ways to be happy. And today we call them the Beatitudes. When you fully understand what Jesus is saying, you realize that these eight principles are God's road to recovery, wholeness, Growth and spiritual maturity. Okay. And uh, they say this ministry, though, is not like past-looking, all the mistakes that you've made, but it's really forward-looking. And so can you talk about that a little bit? Well, rather than wallowing in the past or dredging up and reliving painful memories over and over again, Celebrate Recovery focuses on the future. Regardless of what has already happened... The solution is to start making wise choices now and depend on Christ's power for that. Okay. Um, So it emphasizes personal responsibility then. Instead of playing a a cues and excuse, this program helps people face up to their own poor choices and deal with what they can do something about. Now, we can't control all that happens to us, but we can control how we respond to everything. And that's the secret to happiness. When we stop wasting time pointing the blame, we got more energy to fix the problem. 
So Celebrate Recovery, though, is pretty clear on emphasizing a spiritual commitment to Jesus. Oh, absolutely. And it's helped thousands of people come to Christ. Thousands of families have been healed through this program. And I'm convinced that God's going to use this ministry in our community to change hundreds of lives. Yeah. And am I correct in saying that this program kind of utilizes biblical truth that we need in order to kind of grow spiritually and, and emotionally as well? It's built around small group interaction and the fellowship of a caring community. Celebrate Recovery is built on the New Testament principle that we don't get well by ourselves. Mm. We need each other. Fellowship and accountability are two important components of spiritual growth. And how true that is, that we never get well just by ourselves. Um, So, Chuck, I'm just wondering, what are some of the, um, you know, some of the ministries... Hurts, habits, and hang-ups, what do they cover? I mean, what are we talking about when we look at hurts, habits, and hang-ups? Well, this is a large umbrella program. It's not just limited to drugs and alcohol. Uh, It'll help people deal with things like divorce, anger management, food addiction, gambling, sexual addiction, grief from the loss of a loved one, depression, which you're going to be talking about today. It's all, it, it covers almost any hurt. And usually only one of three people who attend Celebrate Recovery is dealing with drugs or alcohol. And we know there's a lot more pain out there than that. Yeah. So it's not just focused on alcohol or drug abuse, but all the hurts and habits that we kind of have. Well, kind of your free shot to everybody here. Uh, what's kind of closing words or something that you'd want to share uh, just here at the end? Well, church size is no barrier to beginning Celebrate Recovery. We can start with a small group and just kind of watch it grow. Lives are going to change in dramatic ways. People will be set free from all kinds of sinful addictions and hurts and habits and hang-ups as they allow Jesus to be Lord in every area of their life. Now, whoever says something can't be done needs to get out of the way of the people that are doing it. And we're going to be the people that are going to do that. So I just ask that you join me this Thursday here at the Y at 7 o'clock and join me in this new adventure. All right. Well, let's give Chuck a hand for all his good work. And, hey, Chuck, and, and can we just go ahead and let's just pray for Chuck and the ministry that's going to begin. Um, and uh, I hope many of you will step up and step out uh, to help him as we start this. Let's pray. Well, gracious God, we thank you so much. Um, for your son Jesus. And we thank you that uh, when Jesus came, he didn't hang out with people uh, who had it all together, but he hung out with people uh, like every single person in this place who doesn't have it together. And he took people's hurts and habits and hang-ups, and he, uh, through your power, God, he, he helped to heal them. And that's what we pray, that you would use this ministry and Chuck and the team that he has assembled and the team that's growing uh, as this begins on Thursday, to move in such a powerful way, God, that we would see in our community lives changed, uh, not only within their uh, families and their personal lives, but for eternity. And God, we're just praying right now that your power would show up and move through Chuck and the rest of the team to reach our community and to love them into a relationship with you. We just pray this in your name. Amen. Let's give Chuck a hand again.
Well, last week, I broke down and I entered into the informational world. I am on Facebook. And uh, I know this is a surprise to many of you. I had people writing to me saying, did Jesus return, you know? Um, we never thought he would have technology or technological skills to even get there, but I've arrived. Now, I want you to know I still don't have a clue um, of what I'm doing. So if I don't respond to you when you send something to me, it's not because I'm ignoring you. I'm just ignorant, okay? And ignorant people take a while to actually get going, okay? So just bear with me. Now, the wildest thing uh, that I remember happening is that 10 days ago, folks, I had zero friends. I didn't have a friend. And within 10 days, I looked this morning, I have 123 friends. And these are people that I actually know. Like, these aren't people that are a friend of a friend, you know. I think this is the way it works. But you, like, invite everybody who's, you know, whoever, and you're there. And I've just been amazed and fascinated by this. And it got me to thinking. I just wonder, though, when I'm depressed or down or discouraged, how many of these friends are going to be there for me? How many could help me through a tough time? How many could I call at the midnight hour and they would be there? They would be a genuine friend. Well, the more that I thought about this, I realized that Facebook's a good thing. It allows us to connect and communicate with people that we don't get to connect with very often. And it's fun to see what's going on in each other's life. But friends, when you're depressed or you're discouraged, or you're down in the dumps, Facebook is not the answer. What you need is you need people around you. People who are actually breathing and they're there for you as you're going through this difficult time. And so today I thought it would be so helpful for us to be able to go through this difficult thing that touches all of our lives, and that's depression. And I think especially during this time of year, it is the best time to talk about it. Because if you haven't noticed it yet, the days are getting what? Shorter. There's not as much light. Many of us are going to work in the dark, and we are coming back in the dark. And many of us are realizing that in just a few weeks, the time change is going to come, and we fall back, right? And so it's even less, and the days get shorter and shorter. And leaves around us are dying. I love fall because there's all the season and there's all the beauty, but the reality is pretty soon that's going to be gone, and all of that will be dead. And it's during this time when we ourselves and the friends around us are struggling with depression. So what is depression and what does it do? Well, depression is a sense of hopelessness. It makes us feel hopeless. And it, what does it do? It drains us. The Bible says this, A joyful heart is good medicine, 
but depression drains one's strength. The key word there is, and if you're a circle type person, you might want to circle that word drains. The reality is depression drains your strength. And nobody wants to go through life feeling drained of their strength. Nobody puts on their top ten list of accomplishments, hope I get depressed today, you know. You don't wake up in the morning and go, man, a little depression would be good for me, you know. We just don't do that. We try to avoid it. But the reality is, as much as we avoid it, the circumstances of life and the seasons of life sometimes hit in such a way that we are affected by depression. And especially now when you think of the difficult economy that we're in and people are losing their jobs or have lost jobs and the time change is coming. And you know the holiday season is just around the bend, folks. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the New Year, and all of this will hit at once. And it's a perfect time then to talk about depression. Now I want you to know that I am wise enough to realize that there is one slice of depression that I can't help anyone on. And that slice of depression is clinical depression. But fortunately, God has given us doctors, both male and female, who have great wisdom in knowing about medicines and how to help people uh, through counseling to work through those issues. And I just want you to know that if you're on medication right now, and I'm sure some of you are, that you should not feel inferior or inadequate or less than anyone else. Because the reality is, God created whatever medicine you're taking to help you to feel better, to feel healthy. And you shouldn't feel bad about it. And this is a, something that's important too. Sometimes people think, well, if you're a person who is depressed or you have a mental illness, you're less spiritual than someone else. And that's a crock. Because throughout Scripture, there are tons of people who have uh, struggled with depressive moments and God used them in great ways. I'll just be honest with you myself. Back in 1998, there was a period of six months in which I was going to counseling almost every single week and I was on medication. And luckily for me, it was a season. It wasn't my whole life, but I know for some people, it's longer than that. And I'm just so grateful that I had that help. And so I want to tell you, if you think you're clinically depressed or you're there, then get the help that you need. Now, the majority of us in here aren't clinically depressed. But all of us, or at least many of us, struggle with depression every once in a while. And there's two forms that typically hit. The first one is this, relational depression. Relational depression. This is when, you're, when relationships go sour. When they go south, when things aren't going well, and relationally we just struggle with something. The second type is situational depression. Situational depression. This is when tragedy hits, or things don't go the way that you want them to, or you lose your job, or you go through a difficult economic period within your life, and you have setbacks. And folks... Depression is that sense of hopelessness that drains us. Now, this sense of hopelessness affects all of us in different ways. Some people get moody, really moody, and irritated. 
Some people get droopy and down and apathetic. But for everyone, there's a lack of passion and there's a numbness. You kind of go into kind of a funk. And what hits is the following. Strong feelings of hopelessness. Pessimism, gloom, the day is going to end. It's kind of like when Pastor Isaac does announcements, you know. That's why I had to do them today, you know. Because sometimes when he does it, it just goes on and on and on, you know. Oh, gosh, you know. A feeling of hopelessness. That was good, wasn't it? I mean. (laughs) Folks, the truth is this. You and I respond to depression in different ways. There is no one particular way to respond. So let me just ask you, this is going to be something you can shout out if you want. When you are feeling depressed, what do you do? What is it? Chocolate. Chocolate. Okay. Wow, he said that with passion too. I like that. All right, what else? When you're feeling depressed, what? Sleep, smoke, listen to music. Nothing, okay? Isolate. What else? We have one Christian. Close your eyes and pray, okay? You know what I do when I get depressed? Uh, What I do is, depression for me hits with anxiety, so I start feeling anxious about a lot of stuff. And before long, I get so anxious that I just withdraw from everyone, and I go to my collection of Andy Griffith DVDs. And I will sit there and I will watch them, because it takes me into a world where there's no depression. By the end of the story, folks, in any Andy Griffith, you will feel better. You will. And uh, I've been trying to get my wife to market it, you know, since she's a physician in her office. You know, just put these out. You know, that'll kind of help the process. But we all do different things. And let's just have a mass confession here. Who would willingly admit that there has been a time or two in which you have visited the state of depression? If you would, just hold your hands. Now, this is what I want you to realize. Look around, folks. Look around. Almost every single person is raising their hands. And those that aren't, we know what we call them, right? Liars. Because we all experience that, right? Every single one of us do. And I want you to know that it's a natural state to visit, to be there. We're all human. We all struggle. On this side of heaven, folks, sometimes life just sucks. And depression can suck the life out of you. So the problem isn't going to the depression hotel. It's just when you are paying a monthly rate. Now, if you're depressed today or you're going in and out of depression or you have a friend who is depressed, I want to give you some good news. I believe that every single person who is going through a depressing time is just standing at the door of something amazing that God's going to do. That I really believe that when people are depressed, they are the closest to God because they're at a point where they're more dependent on Him doing anything to take away what they're experiencing. And today, I want us to look at a biblical character who faced some depression in his own life, and that's the character of Moses. Now, Moses is not the only character in the Bible who ever faced depression. In fact, if you read the Bible closely enough, many people who were great leaders of God faced this. 
But today we're going to look at Moses. Now let me just give you a little bit of background of who Moses is, just in case uh, you're not aware of him. Maybe you are, maybe you aren't. Moses was a leader of the Israelite people. God's chosen people who were Jewish. And he was a murderer. He actually killed someone. And God then took that experience and he used him to take his people and to lead them to a place of promise. And he helped lead these people of Israel out of Egypt into a promised land. You see, the Israelites had lived in Egypt for over 400 years and they were uh, in slavery. They were held in captivity by a guy named Pharaoh who was kind of the king of Egypt. And they cried out to God constantly, set us free, set us free. And finally, God looked down and said, I'm going to do that. Moses, I'm picking you. I want you to lead my people out. And God didn't mess around. He brought all these plagues and all kinds of stuff on the Egyptians. And finally, Pharaoh the king uh, hit a point where his own son, his eldest son, was killed. And he's like, you guys got to get out of here because your God is destroying us. And so Moses took the people and they went away from Egypt. And they got to a place called the Red Sea. And when they got there, God did something amazing. If you've ever seen the Ten Commandments, He parted the Red Sea and Moses went across. And as he got across, getting ready to head to the Promised Land, Pharaoh and the army followed after him. But God got tired of them. And so He brought the sea back together and they all died. And God then led them or was leading them to a Promised Land where they would take root. Now, This journey, though, took 40 years to finally get to. And during that time, folks, there was a lot of complaining going on. I mean, even though they had food every single day, God provided food for them every day, there's all this complaining going on. Now, some of you are moms. And I just want you to imagine, not just one or two or a couple whiny kids, but two million whiny babies, okay? And if you're not a mom but you're married, just think of two million husbands who are sick, you know? And the whining that kind of goes on with that. And you're the leader of this crew. So the Israelites, God's people, are complaining about everything, and their biggest complaint was about food. I mean, God provided food for them every single day. This food called manna. Bread that poured down from heaven. And people would come up and complain, Moses, how many times do we have to eat this? Is there any way you can do something different? Doesn't he have somebody up there in the food network, you know, that can kind of do something different uh, with this? Bring emerald or something to make this better. Anyone here have a favorite food? Go ahead, shout it out. Pizza. Mine too. We have a guy in the church who knows the manager at Papa John's. And uh, they brought me a piece today. And if you're kind enough, I might give you a piece later on. But if I thought about this pouring down from heaven every single day, I'd never get tired of it. (laughs) 
You would never hear me complaining. It's good. And so this manna is coming down. And they're complaining about it all the time. And you're just like, how could you do that? I was trying to figure out a way that we could drop all the pizza down, you know, from the ceiling today. But I only got eight pieces left, so if you want one, I better not do that. I'll sit on it. But if you want one, come on up afterwards, okay? But they're complaining all the time about this food. So let's go ahead and look at Moses' story. The Scripture tells us, Moses heard all the families standing in front of their tents, weeping. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also very aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, Why are you treating me, your servant, so miserably? What did I do to deserve the burden of a people like this? Are they my children? Am I their father? Is that why you have told me to carry them in my arms like a nurse carries a baby? To the land... You swore to them and their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep complaining and saying, Give us meat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is too heavy. I'd rather you killed me than treat me like this. Please spare me this misery. Look at that last line there, because it's amazing. I'd rather you killed me than treat me like this. Please spare me this misery. Now, I have a two-year-old and a four-month-old. And there are some moments in the Bunch household where there is misery. But there hasn't been a single time where I've ever said, God, would you just kill me, you know? But I bet all of us, at one time or another, have felt so discouraged and at a point in which we've just cried out, Why me, Lord? Why me? You see... Because that whole phrase, why me, really is a cry of depression. Why me, Lord? Why did I lose my job? Why me? Why me, Lord? Why did I have to file bankruptcy? Why me? Why did I have to go through a divorce? Why me? Why me? I look in the mirror sometimes and I go, why me? Why did you give me a huge nose? You know? And hair growing out of my ears. If you're not 30 yet, when you turn 30, hair starts growing out of your ears. And you look in the mirror every once in a while, and you just go, why me? You know, why me? And Moses is depressed. He's at the end of his rope, and he just says, Lord, why me? I'd rather you kill me than treat me like this. And I have a feeling that today that some of you might be saying that. Why me? And you're battling depression. And if you are, I just want you to know that there's some hope. Because when you're at depression's door, what's on the other side of it, if we turn to God, is His hope. Now, each of us get in and out of depression for many different reasons. It could be physical reasons. It could be that you're exhausted. It could be chronic pain that you have. And so you go through that. It could be emotional reasons, or it could be loneliness, or it could be some kind of trauma that you experienced as a younger child. It could be guilt, unforgiveness. It could be that you're a Pacers fan, you know? Because they're depressing, I'll tell you. 
But there are some things that I think are very much in common, that everyone who experiences that season of depression or you're headed into it, there are some warning signs that I want to give to you this morning. And the first warning sign is this. And when you're helping a friend who's going through depression, you need to know what you're looking for. And here's the first one. Fatigue. Fatigue. Now, fatigue can be, con- uh, can be defined this way. Consumed by activity. You're just consumed by activity. Look at what Moses said. He said, This load is far too heavy. I'd rather you kill me then treat me like this. Please spare me this misery. He's like, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I can't handle it. And just now imagine that you're Moses and you're leading two million people. Can you imagine him being at his help desk when two million people are lined up? Moses, I don't have the tent that I wanted. Moses, my spouse isn't being nice to me. Moses, I have a hangnail. Moses, Moses, Moses. And he's just exhausted from having to deal with all of these complaints. And what I'd like you to do, just for a second, is hold up a mirror to your own life right now. Just hold it up. How tired are you? How worn out are you? Are you moving too fast? Are there so many things on your to-do list that you just don't have time to do any of them? Do you need to cancel an appointment or some obligation? Do you need to take a time uh, to just rest? Do you need to take a day off? Do you just need to slow down? I just want you to know that today, if you're feeling tired and you're fatigued and you're feeling worn out, there's a prayer that the Bible gives to us that gives us hope. And it says this. It says, I am worn out, O Lord. Have pity on me. Give me strength, for I am completely exhausted. Folks, if you're battling depression and it seems like it comes on and off very regularly... You might want to look at your physical condition. Are you just doing too much activity and you yourself are doing so much that you don't have time to exercise, take care of yourself, eat well, those kind of things? Is it that fatigue that is kind of pressing you into depression? Here's the second warning sign. It's fear. Fear. Now fear can be identified this way. Consumed by worry. You're just consumed by worry. Moses said this. He said, where am I supposed to get meat for all of these people? My wife Jennifer and I, we have a small group that meets in our house. And let me just say that if you battle with depression or discouragement in any way, the best thing you could do is get in a small group. Get with some people who are going to love you and encourage you and help you through life so you don't do it alone. And uh, so, so we have a group that meets in our home. And uh, every once in a while, we feed these people. And when we feed them, this is our prayer. Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? Because some of the people in our group, they eat a lot. I mean, that's another reason you want to be in a small group. If you like food, eventually there's something that happens in a small group that is really, really good. And you'll want to be a part of it. 
So Moses states this question very clearly. And it's like Moses is living a life in which he is just being a worry ward. In fact, if you look throughout Moses' life, what you'll find is time and time again, he worries about different things. And what's interesting is many of the times, Moses tries to play God himself. He tried to assume responsibilities that were never intended for him to be. I mean, God wanted him to simply lead the people from Egypt to the promised land. But he didn't just do that. Moses began to worry about, can we provide food? Can we provide this? Can we provide that? And all of that was God's job. And Moses was worried about. So I just want to ask you again, hold up a mirror to your life. What are you worrying about that in reality is God's responsibility and not yours? What are you worrying about that you have no control over? You couldn't control it if you wanted to. What are you worrying about that is just kind of consuming your life? Now, I'm not going to say that you can go through life without worrying. We all worry about stuff. There are little things that all of us worry about. For instance, are the Colts going to win tonight? Now, for some of you, that's a big worry. But it's really small, folks. Or is there going to be a high school musical five? You know, four is coming up, 2010. I figure when our two-year-old daughter, you know, becomes 18, it'll be like high school musical 100, you know? Because they'll have it. But those are small things to worry about. But what I'm talking about, and some of you have experienced this, is when you are consumed by worry. You just worry all the time. It's like a monkey that's on your back that you can't shake, and you're just worried. Because when you become consumed by worry, what happens is it leads to fear. And before long, you become afraid of life, afraid of living. I was thinking about this week, and it was the best image um, that I could kind of wrap around my mind that I, uh, that I found. And it was that fear is kind of like this sponge. And what fear does is it wipes away the joy of today, and then it leaves a residue of depression. It wipes away your joy of today and it leaves a residue of fear and depression. Here's the last sign. Frustration. Frustration. Frustration can be defined this way. Consumed by unmet expectations. You just become consumed by unmet expectations. Moses said this, Why are you treating me, your servant, so miserably? What did I do to deserve the burden of a people like this? Now just think about Moses. He has sacrificed everything in his life to lead this group of people into a promised land. And he's like, gang, give me a bone. I mean, God brought the plagues, I helped with that. God opened the Red Sea. I helped with that. You're getting food every single day. I'm uncomfortable too. I mean, I've got sand in places that I never thought I would have it either. And it's tough. But look what I've done. 
And you'd think that they would see that and they'd be like, we're just not going to complain anymore. But they don't. They just keep complaining on and on and on again. And unmet expectations lead to frustration. And many of us land here all the time. Today, some of you are living with unmet expectations. You're in a marriage that didn't turn out the way that you wanted it to. You have friends or family that you were hoping would go deep in relationships with you. And the reality is, they're just not. You have a job that you thought was going to be so meaningful and important, but every day it's a difficult thing to just even walk in the door. And some of you have lost jobs and you don't have one and you're thinking, this is not the way I dreamed my life to be. And what you have within that is unmet expectations. Here's what typically happens in my life with unmet expectations. When someone doesn't meet my expectations, I focus in on that person. I focus on them because they let me down. And let me just tell you, People will always let you down. No matter who they are, they're going to let you down. And do you know why we let each other down? Because we're all sinners. We've all flubbed up, messed up, and screwed up in life. And so it's very easy for us to let other people down. That's why when people start kind of giving me way too much props in their life, I'll say, don't put your faith in me because you know what? I'm going to let you down. Eventually, I'm going to say something or do something or not say something or not do something or hurt you in some way, whatever it is, and I'm going to let you down. So don't put your faith in me. Put your faith in God because God is the only one who won't let you down. But when people get let down from other folks, we focus on them. We focus on the situation. And when all the focus is right here, we lose the bigger perspective, the bigger picture that God's trying to show us in this thing called life. And when that happens, it can lead to depression. Well, fatigue, fear, and frustration all lead to depression. And I'm sure some of you are thinking right now, well, where's the hope? Where's the hope? And I don't apologize for saying this. There is only one hope in life that will always be a constant hope for your life. And it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I realize some of you are checking out this whole God thing. And you're like, okay, I'm interested. So let me share with you two things that God gives hope to you for. The first thing that Jesus offers hope in is power. Jesus offers me a power that I don't have. Jesus offers me a power that I don't have. You see, folks, when you're going through depression, what you don't need is for someone to come up to you and start singing. Tomorrow, tomorrow, the sun will come up tomorrow. You're like, hey, little red-headed girl, get away from me, right? Because you don't want to deal with that. Or how about people who always have an answer, you know? They walk up to you and say, well... You just need to get out of that funk. Stop it. Don't be so sad. Snap out of it. That's not helpful. Because when you're battling with depression, you don't need a book or a phrase. You need a power that is greater than yourself. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this television show. It's called The World's Strongest Man. It's on ESPN. 
There's a couple guys that are like, yeah, man, I've seen it. Well, basically what it is is these guys do these remarkable things. Like they'll, with their mouth, they'll take a rope and they'll pull like a truck a hundred yards. Or they'll, uh, you know, take a car and they'll, you know, like take their legs and lift the car up and down. I mean, I saw him one time, a guy took an elephant and started doing curls, you know. No, he didn't. I'll just see if you're still with me, okay? But I've always been intrigued by this show because it talks about power and strength and might. I mean, you would never see any uh, guy watching the wimpiest world's man, you know. You know, ten guys at the BMV folding, you know, envelopes, getting uh, paper cuts, going, ooh, it's tough, you know. I mean, it just wouldn't happen that way. So I've always been fascinated by this kind of physical strength and power that these guys have. But this is what I realized one time when I was watching it. No matter how strong or powerful they are, when problems and issues and their world crisis hits, I don't care how strong they are, their power is not going to do anything for them. Because what they need is a power that is stronger than themselves. What they need is what Jesus offers. When your energy is depleted, when you're in a crisis, He fills you with His presence and His power. The Bible says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of His Holy Spirit. You know, one of the saddest things I see so often is there are many people who are even followers of Christ, or they claim to be. And they're going to church every day. They see Jesus as their Lord and their Savior and their manager, their CEO, but they've never felt His power in their life. You see, the reality is, many people go through life and they live powerless lives. And we ask the question, well, why would they do that if Jesus has some power for them? And the reason is, it comes to the one word in that scripture, the word trust. Trust. Fill you as you trust in Him. You get power when you trust in Him. He fills you when you trust in Him. The key is trust. I'll give you another word for it. It's the word depend. Depend. Here's the best illustration that came to my mind this week. I'm not very good in eating vegetables or fruits. Our two-year-old daughter has come along, and my wife's encouraging us more. But basically, I have to take a lot of vitamins. Jennifer gives me eight vitamins uh, each day. And she gave me this uh, little thing that they give to nursing home patients, I think. If we have a... Is it the next slide, I think? Maybe not. Oh, there it is. You ever see this before? They, like, do it for people who can't keep it together. Well, Jennifer has one of these, and I take eight of these. And some of these are really, really big. And if I keep this in my... And I have to depend on them to stay healthy. But if I keep it in my pocket, or I just look at it, or I rub it on my face, or I do something else, but I don't actually take it and then depend upon it, it's not going to do much in my life. And the same is true with God's presence. God invades your life when you say yes to Him. His power is totally available to you. But most of us don't want to depend upon Him. We want to depend on our own power, our own wisdom, our own way. Because if we accept His power, we'll have to walk His way. 
Jesus offers you a power you don't have. The Bible says this, I depend on Christ's mighty power that works within me. If you want God's power in your life, if you want that power to show up, then you have to do it His way. A lot of people will say this, I want God's power, I want Jesus' power in my life, but I want to do things my own way. I want to do what I want, when I want, where I want. And it just doesn't work. And doesn't it make sense that if God's going to give you a power that is supernatural in nature, He's not wanting you to just do it your own way. He wants you to do it His way. He gives the power for you to do all things in all circumstances. That's why I love this next verse. I have the strength to face all, not some, but all conditions by the power that Christ gives me. Here's the last thing. Jesus offers me promises I can depend upon. Jesus offers you promises that you can take to the bank. Folks, when you're afraid, when you're living in fear, when you're worrying too much, there's only one thing that can get you out of that, and that is God's promises. I don't know if you realize this or not, but in the Bible, whoa, in the Bible itself, is 7,000 promises. There are 7,000 promises that God gives, and 365 of them are fear nots. He wants you to not fear. I'm going to give you, just real quickly, kind of rapid style, but I'd encourage you to get a 3x5 card and write these scriptures down over uh, the next week, because you're going to need these in your life. But one day, if you wake up and the problem that you're feeling is this, I don't feel like I'm forgiven, God's promises says this, if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. Or if you wake up one morning and you're like, I'm afraid, you can remind yourself of this promise. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's a promise. Or if you say, does God care about me and what I'm going through? Does He really give a rip about what I'm, what's happening to me? Here's the promise. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about what happens to you. Or if the question is my finances, what is going on here? I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. God's promise says this. He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. And finally, you might be asking yourself, does my faithfulness really matter? Is there any payoff to being a faithful man or woman of God? And here's the promise. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that there is a God and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. Folks, Jesus offers promises that you can depend upon. And the Scripture says this, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes in Christ. You know, the reality is, all of you are trusting in someone or somebody or something. And why don't you trust in somebody who is always going to be there, who will always love you, who will never disappoint you? As we close today in your program, there was a little card that I'd like you to pull out. Go ahead. 
And I have a feeling that there are some of you who have a friend or two who is battling with depression. And there's a little card there that says, think of two people that you know are struggling with being depressed or discouraged and just pray for them for the rest of the year. So go ahead, write down a name or two of a couple people that you might commit to praying for. Go ahead, take them, take them off. Now, I know, though, that in a group this size, that there are some of you that you are battling with depression right now today. You're struggling with it yourself. You're like, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I just want to tell you, before you leave today, come up and get some prayer from me or someone on the prayer team. Just have somebody pray with you. And get in a small group. Get connected. Because we want to do life together in the jar. And what I thought we would do is, we'll just give you a moment to just kind of reflect on God's presence right now in your life in this moment. That He's right here, and that you would just experience being filled by Him today. That the breath of His promises would fill you. Worship you. To worship. 
together and sing this part about we're breathing the bread. We are breathing the bread that you gave us to breathe. We are breathing the bread that you gave us to breathe. this week with you and um, depression can be a hard thing depression can uh, just cripple us and so God we pray that you would connect with us you would help us to connect with um, those that we know that that deal with depression so no one has to go through it alone um, God we thank you that you're someone who wants to manifest yourself to us, make yourself known to us, that we can so we can breathe out. We can breathe out things that hold us back and we can breathe out just all sorts of feelings that we have and breathe you in. And so, God, we're going to sing this chorus one more time and just, uh, just allow you to just to come into our lives and Make yourself known to us again. Let's sing this together. Lord, we're breathing the breath that you gave us to breathe, to worship you. today and if you need prayer our prayer team will be up at the front to pray with you but just go that knowing that you're loved in this place and that you're loved by God amen